This is Get Your Love on Radio here on Remnant Radio 100.1 FM. Thank you for being here. What a blessed day and what a blessed occasion it is to get together and share the love of God through the truth of his word. This show is dedicated to the family of faith around the globe. We are streaming live at radioremnant.org. Thank you to our incredible station engineer, Ulate. He managed to fix some technical difficulties difficulties we were having. And so the sound you're hearing is a miraculous answer to prayers because we live by faith. And it's so wonderful to see God move across this land. So thank you, Ulate, and thank you to uh, Remnant Radio 100.1 FM for making this pod possible. Now, the podcast is also available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google, and wherever you can get your podcasts, or just go to getyourloveon.org. You'll see where you can listen, when you can listen, and then lots of additional resources to feed your heart and your soul. We have beautiful videos um, that teach how to walk in faith and put one foot in front of the other and, and grow before the Lord. And what more can we ask for in this life, right? Now, if you're new to this show, I do highly recommend going to getyourloveon.org. Spend some time binging on the content there. Every show is archived. And as I mentioned, we have beautiful video resources in addition to the podcast. We also have some beautiful Bible studies in addition to the podcast. So it'll it's sure to lift your heart and ignite your faith. So spend some time at the website. And if you've been listening to this show for a while, well, then I'd love to encourage you to take some time in prayer. This life can be very busy and move very quickly. And it's up to us to say, you know what, I'm going to take some time, be before the Lord, slow things down, and let the Word of God wash over me and fill my heart and mind so that we can all be effective for God in this life. So take some time and review shows, Bible studies, and some videos, and your prayers are in the Word, and your answers are in the Word. And uh, that's what we're looking to offer. Good news is it's always free. There's no subscription. There's no dues. It is freely given the word of God. Now, today's show, it is sure to bless us all, increase our faith, and expand our knowledge of God through the truth of his word because he is revealing himself to ministers across this globe in really unique and special ways. And this life of faith is so special. And to understand it, when we're baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit, that's a real key, because then God gives us a spiritual mind to look at things, evaluate and assess. And in order to be effective, we must have a spiritual mind and look at things, circumstance, relationships, whatever it is going on in our life, we must look at that through spiritual eyes. Christ said in John 4, verse 24, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Wow, that's an incredible statement there. We must worship God in spirit and in truth. And we're going to offer some beautiful ministers today to help us do that. In simplicity as well, because that's what the Lord, Lord is, see how direct God is? <laughs> God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. When we seek God, we will always have our answers. But when we look around at, you know, some of these, quote, issues that are 
afflicting the nation of of the United States of America or, you know, some of these oppressive regimes internationally that are, wow, so evil, looking to quash freedom and the voices of, of the righteous. It really seems like there's only bad news. But we have some great news, friends. This is Proverbs 28, verse 1. It says, The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as a lion. So let's stand on the word of God and let's be bold as a lion, worshiping God in spirit and in truth. And I'm so blessed because we get to learn from a great man of God, my spiritual grandfather, and a true apostle. We fondly refer to him as Brother Bob. And his ministry began after God miraculously healed him of terminal cancer of the lungs and the stomach. He was given just days to live. And God miraculously healed him, restored his body. And after that, of course, he was seeking earnestly everything that God had for him. He wanted all of God. So he went to seminary school. He thought that would be the next step in in this glorious new life of faith. Well, Mark 16, 17 says, And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues, they shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. And they shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Well, Brother Bob, he was studying the word diligently, hearing of the amazing examples of the apostles in the Bible doing those very things that Christ spoke of. In Mark, and because Brother Bob lived those things himself, he knew these were that every word that's in the Bible applies to each one of us spirit filled Christians. So he was studying the word diligently, hearing of these amazing examples of the apostles. And so, yeah, he's in seminary and he, he goes up to one of the seminary instructors and he asked him a very simple question How do I get all of this? And the instructor said, Well, that was just for the old apostles. (laughs) But Brother Bob, again, having been miraculously healed, having lived the word, he knew full well that was not the case. There was so much more. And so he boldly proclaimed to this seminary instructor, stuck his hand out, well, shake hands with the new apostle. And my beloved friends, we are so lucky that he said that. We are so blessed that he didn't accept that lame response of, oh, that's only for the old days. No, he recognized that every word in the Bible is for us. And that stance, simply standing on the word of God, let's do the same and accept nothing less That boldness that he used to vocalize it, he taught and will hear today. He still is teaching. He's gone on to be with the Lord now, a few decades ago, actually, but he is still teaching that we can have that same boldness too. And that faith that he demonstrated, that faith to know that the word means what it says. And being filled with the Holy Spirit, he knew that God has so much more for those that seek him, for those that want all of God. So the Lord led him on incredible journeys, and a few of which you'll hear today, some of the highlights. Um, 
to establish churches because that's what true apostles do. He healed the sick, raised the dead, and helped countless souls know God and know that God truly does have wondrous works for us today. And in order to get that spiritual mind that I referenced a little earlier, to look at things through spiritual eyes, there's a real key here in the word. We must remove that natural mind, those natural habits, if we are to have a spiritual mind. Why? It's in 1 Corinthians 2.14. It says, but the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. There's a great contrast here. It's night and day. There's no way to understand spiritual matters with a natural mind. That's what the word says. So let's get down to brass tacks. Let's learn how to wash away that natural mind and learn to worship God in spirit and in truth. We're going to do that today for you. We have three beautiful ministers, and we're going to start with our beloved brother, Bob. I guarantee you, you are going to love this message from him. And again, this was hard fought for this message going out across this land, both today, a miraculous healing of these airwaves, so you get to hear it right now, and in his own life through years and decades of serving God with all his heart all his mind, and all his strength. Here's our wonderful Brother Bob. Hello, folks. I've got a real hot potato for you today. Get your Bibles out now and follow along with me if you like. We're going to take a sort of a walk with Apostle Paul today. And I'm going to start in Philippians 2. Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to teach on your mind today. You know, you've heard a lot about brainwashing. Well, I think the greatest brainwasher there ever was, was Jesus Christ. He brainwashed some men one day with two words, follow me. Now there's a lot of people out there that talk about brainwashing. Every time they find something that they don't like, they say, oh, they've been brainwashed. Or if they don't like something I say, they say, oh, he's brainwashing them. Well, some of your brains out there are so filthy, they need to be washed with something. (laughs) So listen to me and maybe God will clean them up a little bit today. He'll cleanse them a little bit. I'm going to brainwash you today. Real brainwashing. Mm -hmm. Like I said, some of your minds are so filthy and some of your brains are so dirty, you do need your brains washed. And the Word of God will wash your brain real good. Uh Uh-huh. So if any of you write to me about brainwashing anymore, here's the answer. Today is the answer. So listen to me carefully, folks. I've got a good message for you. Uh Uh-huh. Listen to what Apostle Paul has to say here. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, he went on to say, fulfill you my joy, that you be like-minded or brainwashed like I am, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Now there is one brainwashed man, according to the Scripture. He says, if you've got any consolation in Christ, your brain has been washed by the regeneration and the hearing of the word. If you have any fellowship of the spirit, then your brain has been brainwashed. It's been cleaned or cleansed. 
or washed by the Word of God. <laughs> it says if you have the same mind and the same love and of one accord and of one mind like me, then you've been brainwashed. In other words, God has had a hold of you and cleansed your mind. That's where water baptism comes in. It puts away an evil conscience and brings a good conscience and a good answer toward God and his people. That's really being brainwashed. Fact of the matter is, water baptism washes you all over, from the top of your mind to the bottom of your feet, so that you're prepared with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're shod with the shoes of the gospel. Listen to this. Let nothing be done through strive and vainglory, but in loneliness of mind, let each esteem the other better than themselves. Isn't that some teaching? That's real brainwashing. That'll clean you up and make life worth living. So I'm all for brainwashing, especially through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look not everyone on his own things, but let every man also on the things of others. In other words, don't just look for the, what you can get out of the world and what you can get off of your fellow man or off of your brother in the Lord, but strive to help others so that they can gain materially, spiritually, and financially. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. Now that's the theme of my message today. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. It said, you let it be there. Once Jesus said to his disciples, let these sayings sink deep into your ears. Or in other words, let me brainwash you. Let me clean your mind up, in other words. Folks, let me clean your mind up today. Or at least get started at that little chore. It says, Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Now here was a man that was in the form of God. But yet in his mind he wasn't puffed up. He didn't think it robbery to be equal with God. He wasn't puffed up. Yet he was in the form of God. In other words, he was God incarnated in flesh as his own son over his own household. He said, but he made himself of no reputation. He didn't go around and try to get on television to make himself a great name or to become a great star or to be a great orator or become the builder of a big hospital or a lot of uh, foolishness of this earth glass houses and glass churches and a big organization. He didn't do that. He said he made himself of no reputation. He said he took him upon himself the form of a servant, not the form of a religious god or a religious character. It said, and he was made in the likeness of men, and he never forgot that. That's why he came to be made in the likeness of man, so he'd understand what you and I suffer and have the answers of a good conscience for us toward God. Mm -hmm. In other words, to solve our problem for us, not to lay more on us, not to put a crisis upon us, or to take a crisis upon himself and put you under the same crisis. <laughs> Jesus never was in a crisis. He didn't create any either. He come to take them from us and to destroy the crisis. So if you have a crisis today, whether it be of your mind, body, soul, or spirit, Turn it over to the Lord. He'll take it away from you. I'm not going to put another one on you. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you what to do to get rid of the one you got. 
mm -hmm. deliver you from the crisis you're in. It says, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even to the death of the cross, which was in that day and age was the most horrible death. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Now the name of Jesus Christ is above every name named under heaven and earth. Because every knee on this earth, sooner or later, somewhere in eternity, between now and eternity, will bow unto him. Whether you want to or not, you will bow unto the name of Jesus Christ. You will have to, according to the scripture. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. And later on, Revelation said every knee will bow, including yours out there. Of things in heaven, you'll bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. Mm -hmm. Some of you may be bowing to the devil. <laughs> but it'd be better to bow to Jesus right now so you won't have to bow to the devil or be bowed over by the devil. Let's put it that way. Now remember, I'm brainwashing you today. I love that word in a way. I am actually brainwashing you today. Washing your mind through the regeneration by the hearing of the word. It says, by the washing and regeneration of the word. So, you out there that's always talking about brainwashing, I'm giving you the spiritual side of it. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, it says here that every man that will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord receives the glory of God says, to the glory of God. And you have to have Christ within your hope of glory in order to meet God because he is the God of glory. And Christ is his glory. And if you have Christ within you, then you have enough glory in you to be equal with God when it comes to the judgment day. Therefore, you won't be judged. Mm -hmm. If you let me brainwash you now to where you know that your mind is equal with God and is a good answer of a good conscience toward God, then that is some beautiful brainwashing. Wouldn't you agree? Uh-huh. I remember the minister that brainwashed me. Begin to tell me what good things God could do for me. What Jesus had done, was still doing, and what good things he was, would continue to do all the days of my life. You see, he washed my brain. He brainwashed me. And it only took me about 30 seconds to believe him. And I've had the most glorious 30 years ever since. I'm going on my 30th year in the ministry because I allowed God's prophet, God's pastor, to brainwash me into believing the Word of God as it's written. Mm -hmm. That's why I'm here today. I would like to see you folks go on and have a beautiful life, whether it be two years or the next 50. You can if you let me wash your brain today, if you let me brainwash you today with the Word of God. You'll find it's one of the best washings you ever had. Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Do you know how the world brainwashes you? They brainwash you through fear and trembling. Wouldn't you rather have your brain washed this way than have somebody standing over you washing it with fear and hatred and malice and strife and envy and debate and hatred. Mm -hmm. That's brainwashing. 
according to the world. But I'll tell you, the brainwashing that God gives you is so easy to entreat. It comes with love and joy and peace. And it brings love and joy and peace and contentment and a good conscience. Did you know if you have a good conscience toward God, the natural law of, of this land cannot touch you because you're not under the law. You're under grace. You have been brainwashed by God and by God alone. Therefore, you don't have to have anybody else to throw mud across your mind or filth across your mind. Something, isn't it? Now listen to this. Listen to this 13th verse. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Now this is what God's brainwashing does for you. It says, it is God which worketh in you. It brings God within you to work in your mind. And it causes you to do his will and to partake of his good pleasure. Now what do you think of this kind of brainwashing? Which one would you rather have? It's here for you. And I'm here to wash you. Mm -hmm. I'll do anything I can to help you if you write to me also. Listen to this. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. That's the starting of the washing. That ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Now, if you're brainwashed by God, you become a shining light in the world. Now, the world brainwashes you so that you're a crooked and perverse nation. This hemisphere has become a perverse and a crooked nation. It's perverse. Everything on the television anymore, especially in the entertainment field, is brainwashing. But it is to destruction of your soul and your mind. Because all it is is destruction and teaches opposite what the Bible says, especially fornication and adultery, drunkenness, evil, is nothing but brainwashing through the television media. They call it entertainment, but it's actually brainwashing your children to commit sin, to commit robberies, to commit murder, to commit fornication, adultery. You all know I'm telling you the truth. So isn't it nice to have a television program where you're brainwashed another way? Mm-hmm. So you that have this thing about brainwashing, let's get, the, let's get the record set straight. There's two kinds, the good kind and the evil kind. I'm bringing you the Word of God. Jesus was the greatest brainwasher that ever walked. And his brainwashing washes you as white as snow and keeps you that way through eternity. Let's go a little further. It says, holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. That's what I'm doing today. I'm holding forth the word of life so that I may bring you forth with rejoicing at the day of Christ when I stand before him in the judgment. It says that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. My labor isn't in vain today. I love to minister the gospel. I love, love to minister the word of God. I love to brainwash you. <laughs> uh-huh. 
I just love to brainwash you. I see my studio audience is sitting here just grinning. They're really something. I've brainwashed all of them. How would you folks out there like to hear a big amen from my studio audience? Go ahead, folks. Amen. Have you been brainwashed? Amen. Isn't that something? Yeah. They've been brainwashed, and they're all sitting here with the most beautiful smile on their faces. Mm-hmm. Listen to what Paul says here. He says, Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. I put myself in the same place Apostle Paul did. I offer myself to your service and to the enriching of your faith. So don't be afraid or reluctant to write to me. Let me know who you are and where you are. Let me know if you enjoy these programs. Mm -hmm. He says, for the same cause also do you joy and rejoice in me. I want you to rejoice in me today, folks. Rejoice into the word and through the word that I'm bringing to you now. Rejoice that someone will stand up and tell you the truth. Rejoice in that. Start rejoicing in that. And rejoice that Jesus Christ is ever present with you. And that you now have that knowledge. And that you can use that knowledge to your benefit simply by calling on his name, simply by talking to him and having a personal relationship with him through prayer and through your voice. But he says, I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy as shortly unto you that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. It comforts me to receive your cards and letters and to know your state, especially your state of mind, to know that you are benefiting from these programs and from these telecasts. Tell a friend, tell your neighbor. It will benefit your family. Brainwashing? Yes. I admit it. I admit that I'm a brainwasher through Jesus Christ and his word. <laughs> I admit it, and I'm very happy about it because I rejoice in it. Your pastor is a brainwasher. So if anybody talks about brainwashing, they say, well, I'm brainwashed. My pastor brainwashes me, and I love it. So let's make something out of this brainwashing. Let's make a big deal out of it. Let's make our salvation stand on brainwashing. Because your mind is your brain, your brain is your mind. Your mind is your soul, and if it hasn't been washed, it's no good. But your brain has to be washed because it controls and holds the mind. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. Now, Apostle Paul made a statement here about Timothy. He said, Timothy is a man that will in the natural and naturally care for your state. What state? Your physical state, your spiritual state, and your financial state. Because in the book of John, in the epistle of John, said, I would that you prosper naturally and be in health physically, even as your soul prospers spiritually. Now, that's real brainwashing. I want you to prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. So, folks, I'm starting your soul to prosper now through the washing and the regeneration of the word or brainwashing you. Now you should start to getting blessed from God. Listen to me carefully. It says, For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ, or things which belong to Jesus Christ, or which are from Jesus Christ. They seek their own natural things. The world is brainwashed into seeking their own natural things today. 
I want to be a big star. I want to drive a big fine car. I want to have the preeminence over a bunch of people. I want to be a big executive. I'm executive material. Well, they brainwash people into believing what they want to be. How about letting me brainwash you into what you should be, can be, and will be? You know, I have the same right to brainwash you as the world does. I have, I have more right, because I have God to back me up in his word. And the world just has itself to back it up. And it says, Jesus said, what will you take in exchange for your soul? Uh-huh. When the devil tempted Jesus, he said, it is Satan that is written, thou shalt serve the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Because he, Jesus said, the world shall pass away in all things therein. But he said, the word of God shall not one tittle of it fail or pass away. In other words, the word of God that you've got in your mind when you leave this body is all that's going to stand. Your material goods won't stand. Won't take you anywhere. Except just a little pleasure through this life right now, according to the flesh. But you know the proof of him that as a son with the father, he has served with me in the gospel. Speaking of uh, Timothy. Him therefore, therefore I hope to send presently so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. Well, I'm here. I'm here to help you. Paul was a man that was dedicated to God. And all he had on his mind was the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. To brainwash as many people as he possibly could while he was on this earth. I've had 30 years practice in the word of God. And I have brainwashed literally millions of people for the good. Brainwashed them from the rudiments of this world unto the glory of God. Mm -hmm. I can safely say that because I know what God can do, will do, and will do more of. There's no limit to what you can ask and get from God if you listen to this brainwashing today. Mm -hmm. If you let them, this mind be in you that also was in Christ. So if you want to put it in simple terms of brainwashing, fine. That's a, uh, that's a statement that you can understand. In the 26th verse, he said, He longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that he had heard that one in the body had been sick. There was a man here that worried about another that had been sick. Now, he was brainwashed into worrying about other people and about his sick brother. See, there's all kinds of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers in the, in the New Testament that worried over the flocks because they had been brainwashed into the gospel into believing that they should worry about their brother and their sister in the Lord. That they had a responsibility toward their fellow man. And this nation today is without responsibility toward their fellow man. And that's what's the matter with it. That's why the nations are failing. That's why there's a great depression and recession coming up on the land. Because everybody's for his own good in his own chambers and doesn't care about the other man. Mm -hmm. Some of you politicians out there need to be brainwashed. Get your Bible, start reading it, and practicing what it, what it preaches and brainwashes in the Bible. Get a, get a new mind in you and start serving the people instead of your own bellies. Mm -hmm. I'm talking to you politicians, whether you be large or whether you be small. Get your politics. Or, well, all politics means is a uh, schemer. And all you do is brainwash the people, too, into they making them think that you're the best man, whether you are or whether you aren't. And most of you aren't weren't, and never will be, <laughs> because 
because you don't uh, confess God and you don't profess God in your everyday life. I'm telling you something. Okay? I lay it into everybody. It don't make a difference who you are. If you're not right with God, I'm going to tell you so. Because I have a different brainwashing than you have. I'm brainwashed unto righteousness and under the preaching of the uh, gospel of righteousness. You're brainwashed under the preaching of scheming. Mm -hmm. Schemers. Well, get your brainwashed with the gospel, and then you'll be a preacher instead of schemer. You'll become a preacher. I heard a great astronaut preaching the other night, and he said before I was brainwashed by the gospel, I didn't care about anything, including myself. I cared nothing for my family or my wife. But he said, then Jesus came along and brainwashed me. He said, now all I want to do is preach. He said, walking on the moon is in my past. I've forgotten that. See, he had been washed away from his mind by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he sat there with tears of joy running down his face and dripping off his chin. One of our great astronauts, I'm going to mention his name, but there that man had been to the moon. He had partaken of everything in this world, all the glory that man could shower upon him, all the glories that men are striving for on this earth. But he said, it's all in my past now. I've just got Jesus. I'm brainwashed, in other words. I have something worth living for now. The things that I did in the past are gone. They are no longer on my mind, in other words. But he said, oh, how I love Jesus. How that Jesus has taken over my life. What a great thing it is now for me to have my family together and my wife in my bosom and have the love and the joy and the peace flowing again. Isn't that something? Now, that's real brainwashing. But it was brainwashing to the good. It was something that happened to the good. It says here in Philippians 2, 28, 29, and 30, that there was a man that because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his own life. A man was willing to give his whole life for the work of Jesus Christ. Now that took some brainwashing. My whole life is dedicated to you people, to helping you because I've been brainwashed. Brainwashed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Brainwashed by God himself into believing and knowing that I can help you, that I will help you, and that I am helping you now, even forever. I see my time is just about gone again, but I'd like to admonish you people out there to seek unto the Lord. Seek him while he may be found. Call upon him now today. And if I can help you in any way, write to me. And if you need to know anything about the Word or about Scripture, write to me and I will answer your questions. My staff and I will do everything we can to answer you quickly, and we usually do. Write to me and let me know who you are and where you are and what your need is. And I will pray personally over the letters, and I will ask God to send his mind into your mind and brainwash you for eternity. God bless you much, and bye-bye for now. And that was Brother Bob in a message called Brainwashing. This is Get Your Love on Radio here on Remnant Radio 100.1 FM. Isn't it wonderful how simple he makes it? And that same commitment that he was saying, 
If you write to him, he'll answer the questions. Our whole team here at Get Your Love On is dedicated to ensuring that you have your answers from the Word of God. You can go to getyourloveon.org. There's a contact tab. You can send us your prayer requests, your questions, and our team will be very diligent in responding very quickly because we still have Brother Bob's wife and widow who's taken on that same anointing as a true apostle. And she is very much interested in making sure that every single sincere question for a hungry soul is answered by the word of God, because we know that's how the Lord works. It's so wonderful to see and hear how simple Brother Bob keeps it, and yet so full of love and God's true authority. And that's because he was trained by God Almighty, by God himself, to become a true minister. So the Lord took him through many adventures. And if you want to hear how God trains a true apostle, we have that for you today, told by, as I mentioned, Brother Bob's wife, Carol, now a widow. And she's taken on this incredible anointing as a true apostle, as I mentioned. And she tells how they met and the incredible death-defying miracles that God wrought throughout Brother Bob's life through the U.S. and remote Mexican jungles. This is an incredible testimony, the wonderful, miraculous works of God. Here we go. This is from our beloved friend, Carol. Parking in the back, I'm starting to walk up this stairway, and who's standing out on the porch looking down at me coming up the stairs? It's Bob He's standing there and he's just, his eyes are boring holes right through me as I'm walking up these stairs. Bob was a very devoted man of God. He had just come off of a 40-day fast. His eyes looked like the description of Jesus in the book of Revelations. Flames of fire, yet they were kind and gentle, but they could pierce right through you. And that's exactly, it's exactly what was happening. I'm walking up the stairs. Here's these eyes. And I could feel my own eyes or my own spirit literally traveling out of my body and going right into his eyes. I mean, there was this meeting and it was just incredible. So our eyes meet for the first time. So, you know, I, I, I didn't know too much about this man. I was, I was uh, about to learn a great deal. The first night, there was so much spirit and so much power. The Lord really impacted me. He filled me full of the spirit again. And about the second night, um, I found myself prophesying. I think it went on for a half an hour. And I, actually, I'd ended up telling Bob everything he was going to be doing within the next two to three years of his life. He stood there just, uh, you know, nodding. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> checking, and knew that it was of the truth and knew that I had been studying my Bible because as the prophecies, as you know, prophecies that do come out often will come out with scriptures included and everything else. So that was quite the experience. I knew I was on my way then. But to backtrack just a little bit, um, Bob, you know, you know there, he, there was 18 years difference between us. So while I was growing up in Sylvan Lake and starting to search the scriptures of Paul, here he was down in Mexico, and he'd been sent there by the Lord. He had been in this meeting, and they wanted missionary. They want somebody to go to Mexico. 
and I'm talking about going into the deep jungles of Mexico, the natives, where people, the paid preachers wouldn't go. Bob was always willing to hear the voice of the Lord, and he was always willing to go. And he heard the Lord, they were, you know, saying in the meeting, would, we need someone to go. Is there anyone in here that would volunteer to go? And Bob heard the voice of the Lord in his ear uh, from Isaiah. Um, the Lord said, who will go for us? Who will go for us? And Bob said right away, here am I, send me. So he answered the call. They sent him down there with some promises to, to uh, you know, uh, uh, send him funds and this and that. But he really, it, it was forgotten by the time he got across the border. He was strictly on his own, living by faith, depending on a, a translator. There were many um, native languages. He didn't know them. He had to go completely by the Spirit. He would preach and a translator would translate. And every, he was dependent upon that translator. If the translator didn't translate correctly, you know, he could be, <laughs> his life could be at risk very quickly. But this one day, he had uh, found himself preaching in this village. About 3,000 people were there. And it was the end of the day. He'd gone on, I believe, all day. As I remember, the chief of that village, they lived very native-like. These were people who were ignorant, uneducated. They'd never been exposed to real civilization. Basically untouched Indian tribes, okay? The chief of the village was not for the gospel. And Bob found himself preaching and teaching about the basics of Jesus. He, he didn't come down there to educate them. He came down there to evangelize them, just teach them the basics of why Jesus died for them and that he was their savior and they could believe and trust in him. So he anyway went on for quite some time. So he's very tired at the end of that day. And, uh, but his translator said, there's one more place you have to go. He said, it's just up the side of a little ridge. And Bob, again, dead, tired. He says, okay, Santos, let's go. Um, and he led him up this little ridge, a little hut. Uh, there was a, only a pine knot burning at the front of the doorway. And it's, as they entered this doorway, it was dirty. It smelled deathly. There was just a deathly stench. And in Mexico, you kind of disregard that if you're way down in the jungles. A lot of times there'll be a dead pig laying on the side of the road or whatever. And they, they just basically ignore it. It's... You know, the hygiene isn't practiced like it is here. So he, did, he just ignored that, went in, and there were two people laying on the floor of this hut. And they, it was kind of dark, so uh, Bob was looking for direction where to go, and the interpreter says, over here, brother. And there were two bodies laying on a floor, laying on the, on the kitchen floor, a woman and a little baby. Well... Okay, so the interpreter says, right over here, you need to pray for these two. So he lays his hands, stretches his hands out, and says, Lord, bless this woman, and Lord, bless this baby. Okay, Santos, let's go. He's dead tired. That was it. He didn't know anything more about it. He, they come back to his quarters. He falls into, into a dead sleep. The next morning, there's this whole commotion outside of his window, uh, such as it was. He looked outside this window, and there's the whole village standing there. There's this woman standing there with her baby, and she uh, is opening her coat to show how her body was zipped up in the night. Now I'm going to backtrack just a little. What had happened with these two souls? The doctor had, the woman was about to give birth. The doctor had come he had taken the baby by cesarean, 
but the baby died during the process and the woman died also. So there's the cut up her belly where the baby was taken out, but he left a death certificate there and left. That, uh, that woman had been laying, and the baby had been laying on that floor for three days. That's why he smelled that stench when he went in. So of course he's seeing this crowd of people standing around. The woman has her coat open, she's naked as a jeebird, and she's showing the people the line where, you know, she had been operated on, but it was all, her line was all sewed up. And in her native tongue, she just said, God zip me up, my, my baby and I are both alive. God, God did a miracle on us and we are raised from the dead. So here, here it was. There was a miracle in native Mexico of this woman and her child being raised from the dead. I have a picture of her standing here. This is very significant. I believe this woman um, is probably in her older age today if she's still alive. Many of the stories of these miracles are still being told in Mexico. They called Bob the God-man from America. That's the only way they knew to refer. Well, may I say this, uh, that miracles do not make you popular because that very night uh, after, after the commotion died down and you know, Bob was able to explain that yes, the Lord does miracles and he will keep you alive. Bob went into a, into a deep sleep and had a short dream and the Lord warned him and he said, there are people coming to kill you now because of this miracle. He said, wrap your stuff up, get into your car and drive away as quickly as possible. Right about that time, his interpreter, interpreter came in and said, brother, I've been warned of the Lord. Uh, there are men that have heard about the, the, the goings on today and they're jealous and they're coming to, to try to kill you and do away with you. And he said, yes, I know. Uh, the Lord visited me also, let's go. And they jumped in their car and drove away. So these are just some of the, the obediences um, that the Lord required of Bob. He was just down there to do work for the Lord. What he did, he stayed 11 months. Uh, one, at one meeting, an army colonel, Mexican army colonel came, had heart disease, and the Lord healed him during that meeting. So there was some relief that came from that episode. This Mexican army colonel escorted Bob into the different areas, which were, you know, they, they had to cross Ford rivers and so on. And um, there weren't ferry systems or anything like that. So he would get personal escorts from this uh, army colonel when needed. But again, you know, to backtrack, while I'm learn, just beginning to uh, learn about Paul, learn about the personality of Paul, praying the prayer of Jabez, I'm, I'm starting to grow in the spirit. All of this had been going on before. Bob was already, um, you know, doing the will of the Lord as, a, as an evangelist, as a prophet, as a pastor, and as a teacher. He did all four of those things, being very obedient. He was a grateful man to God, a very humble man. Um, grateful because he wasn't the type of guy that you'd think would be chosen to minister the gospel. He wasn't a, a, any special candidate for being raised up as a minister of God. He had been raised a military man. He trained commandos during World War II. That's what they, they chose him for. He was, um, for a while, he was G2 intelligence and appointed to ship out a couple of times to go overseas, but his mother prayed and uh, they, they tossed him off the train twice. Twice her prayers were answered. And the Lord kept him here as an instructor to commandos. So you got to realize that 
uh, Bob's preparation was really unique. And um, as a military man, he was used to giving commands, you know, not, and here as a, as a minister, he had to take the commands of the Lord. And the Lord said, you go here and you do this. He, the thing that, that impressed me so much after I first met Bob was his instant obedience to the Spirit of God. He would listen and he would obey. I, I came to experience how quick uh, he was to obey. And, and something I, I not only appreciated from the beginning, but appreciated throughout our whole 23 years together. It never ceased to amaze me how quick he answered uh, and, and did the Lord's bidding. But as a military man, um, you know, he was used to giving out orders. It was, uh, there was a war on and he had to train, commandos were the military men that were assigned to go behind enemy lines and do as much damage as possible before the main air, air forces and, and uh, armed forces got there. So they were uh, highly, highly trained and really never expected to come back. Not a lot of them did. And they, um, each man that was sent out behind enemy lines had a little cyanide capsule that you could put under your collar. If the enemy captured you, you were expected to bite down. Nobody got your story. They knew nothing about you. They, they had, had no way of interrogating you. So Bob would, you know, his, he'd get a bunch of new recruits out there. And this, these are some, just to give you a flavor of his personality before conversion. This is what he'd say. All right, I've got three things to say to you. I'm going to make, break, or kill you. Now, get back to your barracks. I want you out here first thing in the morning. And the first six weeks, you're going to hate me. But when you get out on the battlefield, you're going to love me. Now, head out for your barracks. And, you know, it was so because these men were, they had to throw a knife around a corner. They had to board a locomotive, jump a 10-foot wall, do the impossible. They were behind enemy lines. They had to do this. Again, we didn't win World War II for nothing. They, they made men in those days that were of a special caliber. So to take a man like this, and then the Lord had to get a hold of him. Uh, he was after, after his arm, armed services days, he, was, um, he got the victory medal. Um, he was uh, finally discharged, but the thing was that he was very unprepared. I mean, it took, it took a while for him to, uh, I guess the word is demilitarize. You know, there was a rehabilitation period that had to go on. And the Lord took his time, but then he placed his hand heavy on him, and the calling was stronger and stronger. Finally, um, Bob, being a very strong-willed guy, uh, cancer beset him. Cancer of both lungs and the stomach. Had one on the top of his head, one on the ball of his foot, and he was dying fast. And in the last dying days... He walked into a Baptist rescue mission. There were five ministers. There were, there were, one of them was very kind, and they just preached the simple message of how Jesus died on the cross. And um, Bob, Bob bought the message. He really did. He said, okay, if this is true, I'm going to believe everything you're telling me. And right that night, he prayed. They said, well, just come up here and pray. We'll be praying with you. They let Bob come up to an altar and pray there. And he just said, God... If you are a God, just save my soul tonight and let me die in peace. He was willing to settle for that because he couldn't eat anything. His life was over. And the doctors had just given him morphine and basically told him, you know, you've got a few days. So he entered this rescue mission just in the nick of time. That very night, the Lord healed his stomach and his lungs. 
As soon as he prayed his simple prayer, God, just save my soul and let me die in peace, uh, he felt his lungs jump out, way out. And he just jumped up and took a huge deep breath, like that. And he, could, he used to have to pant like a dog to get every breath. This time he was breathing, uh, took a full lungful. And of course they were all amazed and they wanted to hear his testimony and his story. Um, and they said, you can't stay. He wanted to stay there. He said, can I just stay in this holy place where the Lord met me? They said, well, it's against regulations, but if you'll come back the next night, you know, you can tell your testimony. Well, that particular denomination, he did tell his testimony, and it started to spread around through the, through, uh, the community. And the denomination wanted to take him on to train him as one of their ministers. But one day, he was searching his Bible, and he was looking through Mark 16, 16 to 20, where it says, They shall lay hands on the sick. And if they eat, if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall speak with new tongues and they shall take up serpents, you know, and so on. And he comes to his instructors and he says, well, who's the they here? And they said, oh, well, that was just for the old apostles. These things aren't really for today. They don't, you know, we're, we don't expect these things to be done today. And he says, wait a minute, I've already experienced several of these things here in this scripture. And he just handed his hand out like this and get ready to shake hands with a new apostle because I'm going to have what it says in here. And of course, that was a little bit, they didn't want to change their theology for some upstart. So they just said, well, you know, your mother's been calling and she wants you to come home. So we suggest you do that. Well, he did. He made the trip back to Missouri to his mother's house. And she has an, at an upper room, an upper chamber in her house. And the Lord told Bob in his ear, he said, what the gospel I'm giving you is not from man, neither will you learn it from man, but by revelation of Jesus Christ. And he says, that's good, for me. that's good enough for me, Lord. Where do I start? And the Lord said, you get, get yourself up in that upper room, wait on me, study my word day and night, and when, you're, when I release you, you'll be sent out to everywhere I tell you to go. And he said, I'll define the moment, the hour, and where you're to be sent. And he said, Good enough. He poured himself into the scriptures. He had a photographic memory, which he had used in the army. Now that photographic memory was used to search the Bible. And he learned it in Greek, Hebrew, and Chaldee. Just poured over uh, scriptures and historical writings, uh, concordances, wherever, uh, languages, wherever he could, whatever books he could get his hands on. Some of his friends brought him some old Bibles that you had to turn with a paddle and so on. So he just immersed himself in that. And about the end of the year, he was ready to come down. And the Lord did a healing work in his body, still continued a nice healing work going on. There's a lot of restoration. When you have restoration of, of uh, you know, uh, those cancers had to come up out of him and they would tear him. The first night, as he was leaving that rescue mission, he had to stop the car because he got deathly sick. And he just said, Lord, what is this? And he started to throw up. And these ugly things that had long, stringy pieces would come out of him. And he, he was bending down over a cotton patch. He pulled off the road, and there was this cotton patch freshly laid by. And these things were coming up. So he'd just pull them out, cover them up, back up. And he remembered it smelled. They smelled. There was terrible stench. Backed up, covered enough, and about 15 of those things came up. They was, he was bleeding at the nose. They were coming out of his eyes. Some of them looked like worms. And they just got smaller and smaller as he kept, he was throwing them up. And finally it quit. And he was relieved and he was dead tired from that. And he laid in his car and went into a dead sleep. 
Well, he had smoked cigarettes from the time he was nine years old. So that night, the strong California sun, he had his windows rolled up, and the strong California sun came in beating on that car, and he was dead tired. He'd slept in until 10. It was radiating hot in there, but he noticed that all his shirt was just yellow. The nicotine in his system, the Lord did a sauna treatment on and just sweat a whole bunch of it out. And he got up that morning feeling strong. Before, he used to have a lady come in and have to help him get up in the mornings. He could not even lift himself up out of bed. So it was, it was quite the thing. And he got up that next morning. He felt strength. And he could eat anything and everything from then on. He went to a restaurant, ordered a meal, and was still hungry. Went to the next restaurant, ordered the second meal. And everything stayed down. Everything stayed put. And he knew that the Lord had done this great work because he couldn't hold food down before that. But he was rejoicing. You know, and one of those uh, preachers had, had taken the cigarettes out of his pocket, put a little New Testament in his shirt pocket, and he sat under a tree and just started reading that thing, <laughs> poured through that thing all afternoon before going back to the rescue mission to tell the folks what had happened. He was just excited. And he turned to the scripture that said in, in the New Testament, and the devil rent him sore and came out of him, or tore him sorely and came out of him. And he goes, this is what happened to me. So here's Bob. And this is, this again, I'm backtracking because this all took place in the man before I met him. When I did meet him, his muscles had been restored on his body. Again, he had been on a fast with that one. And it was just a little bit, of, just shortly before he came to Red Deer at these people's invitation. He had come off of a few days fast, got up one morning, couldn't, and nothing fit. His regular clothes, his shirt, he couldn't get it on. It was too small. The pants were too small, and he couldn't get into his boots. So he asked his assistant to go into town and get him some new clothes and a new pair of boots. And they did. They brought it to him. And his, his, his shirt collar, I think, at that time was 14 and a half. It expanded to 17 and a half. The Lord rebuilt his body and put all new musculature on. And that was just, uh, I think, two or three months before we met. So I didn't meet a, a, you know, a skinny guy who had just was a cancer patient. I met a man who had been fully restored by God. After several years, the Lord did this thing in stages. The muscles were the last thing to be restored on his body. Before I met Bob on that doorstep and his eyes bore holes through me, I had been waiting in my back room teaching school that year. This is only a couple of months, again, before Bob walked into my life. But I had a special visitation from the Lord, just on my knees one night, very quiet, waiting, praying, and right out of the blue. And I, I had fasted that, that winter, so I was very keen on hearing the voice of the Lord. Right then, the Lord spoke in my ear. It was as if the Lord himself was in the room, and he, his voice sounded like, um, well, Daniel describes it as the sound of a multitude of waters. And that's how it felt. It resounded through my very soul. It went through my very being. The strength of his, the beauty of the Lord's voice. So incredible. And he turned me to Psalm 89. And this was the Lord's voice reading the scripture to me. And it said this. And it was telling me what was to come. And it says, Thou spakest in vision to thy Holy One and said, I have laid help upon one that is mighty. I have exalted one 
chosen out of the people. And the Lord said, I have found David my servant. With my holy oil have I anointed him. I felt this literally a pronouncement and an announcement of this arrival. And I knew someone was coming. It was so definitive. And the Lord just, his voice resounding up and down through me. And, he, and the Lord goes on. With whom my hand shall be established, mine arm also shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not exact upon him, nor the son of wickedness afflict him. And I will beat down his foes before his face and plague them that hate him. But my faithfulness and my mercy shall be with him, and in my name shall his horn be exalted. I will set his hand also in the sea and his right hand in the rivers. He shall cry unto me, Thou art my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. Also I will make him my firstborn, higher than the kings of the earth. My mercy will I keep for him forever, and my covenant shall stand fast with him. His seed also will I make to endure forever, and his throne as the days of heaven. It was just incredible. So I, I pondered these things in my heart because it was, it was absolutely momentous, it was a, and I knew someone was coming. And two months later, I'm walking up these steps, our eyes meet. It was just incredible. And of course, he, at that very first meeting, he could look right into me and read what had gone on in my soul. You know, any, any torments or afflictions I had suffered, he knew about them. And he, he looked at me once and he said, there are scars all over your back, but they're not natural scars. And he said, come on up here. And I just came up and he put his arms around me like this and just worked my back a little bit. And I just fell over in the spirit. Again, there was this tremendous visitation. Um, oh, the healing of that. All of a sudden, the life I had lived up until I was 22 at the time, it was all erased. It was gone. It was as if nothing was there. Everything was absolutely brand new. Isn't that miraculous and wonderful to hear? The miraculous healing power of God Almighty. This is Get Your Love on Radio here on Remnant Radio 100.1 FM. The miraculous healing power of God Almighty. When a man simply believes the word and meets a beautiful woman of God who also believes the word, and then they just live the word with every breath. Simple and yet incredibly wondrous and powerful. And that's what we get to enjoy and learn from here on Get Your Love On Radio. And guess what? There's more. That's right. Now you heard some of the wondrous miracles wrought by Brother Bob in his early ministry. And that was a preparation that the Lord began. And remember, that started because he shook that seminary instructor's hand and said, and proclaimed a new thing across this land. And again, we get to enjoy the fruits of those eternally significant labors. Now, our next minister, he is a young man who was taught the word by the true fivefold ministry that Brother Bob 
and his wife Carol established. So let's learn about God's incredible love. Let's learn about God's eternal solutions. And let's learn about those wondrous promises that God lays out in the Word. Now, if you're watching right now on Facebook Live, I'm going to encourage you to go to RadioRemnant.org. You won't want to miss a second of this beautiful message from our friend, Corey. This is called, There is No Shame in Christ. The Lord kind of put this message on my heart because it occurred to me that there's people out there, they're living with a sense of shame for whatever reasons, things that they've gone through, things that they've done. And when we go through things or we, you know, we make mistakes, that leaves an impression on the mind. As we go through our life, these things, if they don't get dealt with, they can be harbored and they can gnaw away at the soul. And the Lord doesn't want that for us. He loves his creation. He wants his creation to be free and perfect and joyful. So shame is one of those things that it can eat at the soul if it's not taken care of. The thing about shame is there's a self-loathing and a self-hatred that can go with it. And it can be difficult for some people to let it go. But shame, that's not something that the believing spirit-filled Christian is to be afflicted by. We are to be free from that. When, we are, when we're fully walking in the spirit, we are free from shame. And in fact, shame, that was something that was, it wasn't meant to be inflicted on the human soul in the first place. The first place that shame is mentioned in the Bible is way back in Genesis. In the Garden of Eden, in Genesis 2.25, it says this, they were both naked, the man and his wife, and we're not ashamed. So this is speaking of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. So when God made them, they were you know, physically naked. They, did, they were in that garden. They didn't have clothes on. They just, they just went about as God had made them. And it says they were not ashamed to be naked. Now, the thing about shame, I studied this out in the original Hebrew, and there's a strong association with nakedness, nudity, and shame. It's just the, con the connotations of that word in the Hebrew. That's what it's associated with. The, the uncovering or the exposure of the fleshly parts. Now, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, they did not originally need any clothing or covering because they were simply as God had made them. They were innocent. They had no knowledge of evil. They'd done nothing wrong. And what they had, they had a covering, a spiritual covering of innocence on them. So there was... No need for a, a physical covering, so to speak. We'll, I'll get into that in a little bit. It was only when they were deceived by the serpent into disobeying the commandment of God that they felt shame and then felt a desire to have a covering over it. I'll, and I'll go into Genesis 3, verse 6 here. And it says, When the woman, Eve, saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband, Adam, with her, and he did eat. So this tree we're talking about here, that was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God, when he made Adam and Eve and put them into that garden, he told them they were not to eat of that tree. They could eat of any other tree in that garden except that one. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, in the moment that they ate 
of the fruit of that tree, they acquired the knowledge of good and evil. They came to know what evil was. They, had a, they came to know an experience of it. And in the moment that they acquired that knowledge, they also acquired the realization of the evil that they had committed in doing so. Because the very fact that they ate of that tree was breaking the commandment God gave to them. So they realized that they'd done evil. Their innocence was lost in that moment. They lost that spiritual covering. And so what happened? They felt a spiritual exposure. They felt a spiritual nudity because that, new, that innocence disappeared. And so all of a sudden, they feel this nakedness spiritually and they, they got to find a covering for it. There's, there's a desire to find a covering for it. Verse 7, And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. They gained that knowledge. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. So they were ashamed. The feeling of being ashamed is the perception that one is in the wrong. It comes from guilt. We recognize we've done something wrong, you know, we feel that guilt and there's, a sh there's that feeling of shame associated with it when we have that recognition and that perception. And with that feeling of shame, there also comes the desire to cover or conceal the cause of that shame. Because there's a, there's a spiritual nakedness involved there. So what happened here with Ab and Eve is they tried to make a physical or a natural substitute for that spiritual covering that they lost. You know, they, they felt that nakedness and they, they did what they could of their own ability to try and get some kind of covering back on. That's why they sewed these fig leaves together. But it was just a natural substitute. It was, it, it was not the spiritual covering that they'd had before. You see this in the, in the world today with people. People cope with shame in their life in different ways. I mean, some people, they self-medicate with drugs or alcohol. Some people, they'll deal with shame by pouring themselves into some kind of distraction, whether it's video games or they're just you know, into fantasy novels or you know, even, even a workaholic, pouring themselves into their work. They're so busy that it just completely takes them over. Some people will deal with the shame in their life that way too. Some people will act out with bad behaviors or they'll, they'll mistreat others. It's kind of a defensive mode for what they're feeling inside. Now, not everyone that's doing these things may be doing it out of shame. I'm just saying, I'm just giving these as an example that this is maybe how it manifests. But like Adam and Eve's fig leaves, though all these things, they're just attempts to deal with a spiritual problem by natural means. Because shame is a spiritual problem. It's something that's been done wrong in the spirit and there's a spiritual nakedness and so there's a desire for a covering now the thing about these natural all these natural things i listed it's trying to cover or conceal the cause of that shame in one's mind you know like that drugs and alcohol it just kind of clouds over the mind so there's like a fog and it it kind of buries whatever the source of that shame is in the background so it doesn't come up to the forefront if someone's pouring themselves into those distractions, like those video games, again, it's something that's occupying the mind and covering over that problem that's in the background. It's then pu pushing it to the back so it gets, it's kind of buried. Workaholic, same thing. 
so busy that they're just, there's just no time to think or dwell on that thing that's, that's bothering them. So that's why these certain things, you know, it can manifest in these different ways. It's all just a, a way to cover or conceal that root of shame that's in there. Now, the thing about this, though, is these, these natural attempts to deal with a spiritual problem, they're, they're inadequate. For one, they're only temporary. I mean, you know, a person can pop some pills or whatever, you know, get a little bit of euphoria or whatever it is they experience, but that wears off eventually. And there's withdrawal and coming down and all the rest of it. Same with those distractions. One can pour themselves into these things for a time, but you know, eventually you gotta, you gotta leave off. You gotta go about your day, come back to reality. So those things are, for one, they're only temporary. And two, again, it's a natural, they're natural things. They don't address spiritual things. It only just masks it. One other thing that goes along with this shame is mentioned here in verse eight. So Adam and Eve, they tried to use a natural covering for their spiritual problem. They also did something else. It says they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. See, shame, it's not only a painful experience for the human soul, it also brings an estrangement from God if it's not properly addressed and dealt with. So they, part of that shame there was too, was with, you know, withdrawing, you know, not, not feeling worthy to be in the Lord's presence. It's not just a painful experience, but you know, it's damaging to a spiritual walk too. It's a damaging to a relationship with the Lord. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, where art thou? Or where are you? I mean, when the Lord, when the Lord's asking you that question, um, that's a pretty good indicator that, you know, you're not where you're, you ought to be. The Lord's asking, where are you? And he, Adam said, I heard thy voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So along with that desire to conceal the cause of one's shame also comes the fear of exposure, the fear of that, you know, coming out into the open and the fear of the consequences that might ensue from that shame being exposed. And, you know, there were consequences for Adam and Eve. They were driven out of Edom because they did transgress the Lord's commandment. And the Lord couldn't have them there with that disobedient nature. So he did, he did, there were consequences for them. The point I'm making here, though, is that it started with guilt. You know, something was done wrong, and shame comes from that guilt of something being wrong. But shame also leads to fear. And what's fear? Fear is the opposite of faith. And Hebrews 11.6 says this, Without faith, it is impossible to please him. In other words, it's impossible to please God without faith. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, must believe that he exists, and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. See, shame can keep a soul from having the fullness of all that God has for them because of the effect it has regarding the last part of that verse. Not only, we're not only to believe that God exists, but to believe that he, he will reward us when we diligently seek him. 
So shame, shame kind of, it nullifies that last part because shame causes the soul to feel unworthy of approaching towards God. Shame makes the soul feel unworthy of receiving the blessings of God. And shame makes the soul feel like they're incapable of performing the works of God. And in the end, what it does is it gives them an excuse to not even try. So I'm not good enough, so why bother? That's what shame does to the human soul. Is it, tell, it tells them, well, I'm not good enough. I'm bad, so I'm not worth it. So why should I even bother? It's quite a state to be in. The good news is, that's a lie. We are worthy to approach to God. We are worthy to receive the blessings of God. We are capable of performing the works of God. Why did Christ go to the cross in the first place if we weren't worthy? Why did God make us spiritual beings if we weren't capable of doing spiritual works? So the answer I have to those, you know, that may be bearing a shame or dealing with shame in their life is who caused shame to be brought upon the human race in the first place? It was that serpent. It was Satan who deceived Eve and caused her and Adam to transgress against God. Caused them to become guilty in that transgression, to experience the shame that stemmed from that guilt, and to lose their place before God and driven out, be driven out of Eden. It's Satan, the enemy of God, that seeks to destroy God's creation. It's Satan that influences the human soul to fall into shame by breaking the commandments of God. It's Satan that tries to bring them down into the low habitation where he himself is. Shame is Satan's habitation. That's where he was cast down to. Because originally, he was, he was one of those angels you know, in that glorified state. But what did he do? He tried to lift himself up above God and he was cast down for that pride, that preeminence. So he went from glory to shame. Shame and glory are opposites, opposite estates. Glory is, you know, that high, exalted, excellent place that shines, you know, it's beautiful. Shame, that's the opposite, down in the muck and the dirt, in the dark, in the cold. That's, and that's Satan's habitation. He was cast down into shame. So, and that's what he seeks to do to destroy the human soul is to drag everyone down into that muck with him that he can. Well, this is the cry. This is what the righteous soul cries against it. Well, this, this is actually the proof of what I'm saying here is what, what I'm going to read here. I got a few excerpts out of Psalms. I'll start in Psalms 40, verse 13. It says, Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let them be ashamed and confounded together that seek after my soul to destroy it. Let them be driven backward and put to shame that wish me evil. So who wants to seek, who wants to destroy our soul? Who wishes us evil? The enemy of God. Psalms 35, 26. Let them be ashamed and brought to confusion together that rejoice at mine hurt. Let them be clothed with shame and dishonor that magnify themselves against me. Psalms 109, 29. Let mine adversaries be clothed with shame and let them cover themselves with their own confusion as with a mantle. Psalms 71, verses 12 and 13. O God, be not far from me. O my God, make haste for my help. 
Let them be confounded and consumed that are adversaries to my soul. Let them be covered with reproach and dishonor that seek my hurt. So those are the cries of the righteous and innocent soul against the influence of Satan. Whether he's accusing us or persecuting us or trying to afflict us or tempting us, that's where he belongs. That's where he is. And that's what he's trying to drag us down to. And that's the cry our soul makes to the Lord against him. You know, Satan, you go back down where you belong. You belong in shame. That's your place, but that's not for me. See, but God has the ultimate authority and power over Satan. And he's made a way for us to access that authority and power and partake in it. Romans 5 verse 8, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So even when we were in that place of shame, you know, when we uh, soul would think they were unworthy, that's when Christ died for us. It is when we're in that place where we think we would be unworthy. That's when he died for us. So if he made that sacrifice then when we were in that estate, how much more worthy are we when we're walking in the Spirit and we're living our life according to, to the doctrine and the gospel of Jesus Christ and Nazareth. Now, I, I do want to point out something here too. It says, when we were yet sinners. That's past tense. When we're walking in the Spirit, obeying the commandments of God, we're no longer sinners. We've left that behind. We've left that shame behind. See, the, the sacrifice that Jesus Christ of Nazareth made for us in going to the cross, that made the way for us to be forgiven and become free from shame, regardless of what is in our past. doesn't matter what we've done. He made a way for that to be forgiven and to be for us to be free of whatever shame and guilt we've felt in the mistakes that we've made, the sins we've committed in the past. Because he wants us to go to something better because it's God's creation that he was saving. And God created us for his joy and his pleasure. Now, the thing about having that forgiveness and becoming free from that shame is we do have to come to God the way that he wants us to. There are stipulations on that. And, you know, repentance, that is the first thing. That's, that's the first step. It's not the, just the only step, it is, but it's the first step. That repentance, you know, that's, that's looking at what we've done and acknowledging that it was wrong. And it does include an experience of shame. When we have, you know, that pricking of our heart when we've done something wrong, that's, you know, that's part of that shame that we feel, being in that estate. But we don't run from it and try and hide it. We acknowledge it, we face it, and we give it to the Lord. Lord, I repent. I'm done with all that, that old stuff. I'm done with that old sin. Rather than trying to cover it or conceal it or self-medicate or distract ourselves or whatever. Take it to the Lord. We repent of it. We lay it at his feet. And then what happens? Well, truly repenting of sin, that means one does not go back to it again. In other words, you don't go to altar call on Sunday, repent of what you did on Saturday, and then go do what you want the rest of the week and then come back on Sunday again. That's not, that's not repentance. That's actually hypocrisy. Is what it is. And some churches, they've 
deluded themselves into thinking that that's all God requires, and it's not. Repentance is only the first step, and we move on from that first step, which means we keep going forward, we don't go back. And what do we go forward into? A new life as a new creature. This is accomplished by spiritually dying and spiritually resurrecting as Jesus Christ did, going down into the grave and coming up again. Now, we don't do that by going to the cross today. We do that by going under the water in baptism under holy hands for the remission of sins, according to Acts 2.38 and Matthew 28.19. Baptized, full immersion under holy hands for the, not just repentance, but for the remission of sins, the complete removal, canceling of them. Romans 6, verse 3, Know you not that as so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? This is actually quite a mystery God revealed to Paul here. But it is, it is the truth. It is how it is. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Not the same old stuff and then coming back on Sunday to repent again. Newness of life. Something new, something different, something better. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Glorified state. New spiritual creature. Knowing this, that our old man, the old ways, all the sin, the mistakes that we made, all of it, is crucified with him that the body of sin might be destroyed, and that henceforth, or from now on, we should not serve sin. In other words, we go from being a sinner to being a saint. So it means to become a new creature. You know, leave off all the old stuff. We rise as something new. Now, once a soul has risen as a new creature in God's eyes, then comes the fullness of the power of God in them, the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Because now that new creature has arisen, and that it's that new creature that's worthy and fit and prepared to receive the Spirit of God within them. And that's when the Holy Ghost comes into us. That's when we get filled with it. And that's when we start manifesting the gift of the Spirit, according to 1 Corinthians 12. That's when we start manifesting the fruits of the Spirit, according to Galatians 5, 22 and 23. We become something new and filled with the good things of God. We become a new and perfect being, free from sin, free from shame, and worthy of doing God's works and receiving his blessings. Now, the thing about this, too, is even in this new glorified state that God gives us, this also has to be nurtured and maintained. It doesn't even end there. We keep going forward with God. Not going back to the old shame or looking back at the old shame. We keep going forward. And the reason we do that is so that we don't revert back to what we've overcome. We don't revert back to what God's delivered us from. And that's why the fivefold ministry is so critical for our full and perfect Christian walk. The fivefold ministry, according to Ephesians 4, is what keeps us in that perfection before God. So you think about going through this life in this natural world, 
is there's going to be an onslaught from Satan. He's going to keep trying to drag us down back into that muck. That's, that's his intent, and that's what he wants to do. So we have to maintain, it's not a one and done. Our salvation is not just a one and done, good to go deal. We have to maintain it. We have to keep building ourselves up in the spirit, keep being filled up in the spirit and nurturing and maintaining what God has given us. Not let it leak out, not let it get worn down and taken away. Because one that's obtained salvation, they can lose it if they let it go. It can be lost again. So we hang on to it. Go over to Romans 5. We'll start in verse 1. It says, Therefore, being justified or found innocent by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's no longer that guilt before God. There's no longer no pl- any place for that shame before God either because we've made peace with him. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. This is why the believing, spirit-filled Christian is not afflicted by shame, because we stand by faith in the grace and mercy of God. So you think about all those things I listed, it's not just a matter of doing it, it's also believing it too. It has to be mixed with faith. When we're in that grace and mercy of God, we're no longer sinners, We're saints. And in the spirit, we've gone to a different habitation. We've been lifted up into the habitation of glory with God instead of staying down in the habitation of shame with Satan by the faith we have in God and the performance of the works that he gives us to do to obtain that. And not only so, but we glory or rejoice in tribulations also. Now, this, uh, now tribulations, that's troubles or things that we face. It's kind of a funny thing that Paul writes us, that we rejoice in tribulations. Well, when we've become a new and living creature in the eyes of God, he also trains us up in how to properly use what he's given us. And that's the purpose of the things that we face and go through in this life. So we're fully prepared and fully equipped to be with the Lord throughout eternity. Yeah, that's why... Paul says we can rejoice in those tribulations because we know God's training us. God's growing us. God's making us stronger. And we rejoice in that because, verse th- continuing in verse 3, we rejoice in that because knowing that tribulation worketh patience. Now patience, that's our endurance. The endurance of whatever tribulation, whatever persecution or burden or trouble which may befall us, in going through this life. We, we endure it. We stand fast. We keep going forward with God instead of going back to the old ways. Now, God allows things to happen in our life to fully develop the gift of that spiritual endurance, that patience that he's bestowed upon us. So, and what happens once we have that endurance? Verse four, and patience works experience. Experience is the proof of our endurance. You know, when you've gained experience, you have that experience because you've gone through something. You've, you've learned something, you've grown from it. You have the proof that you've gone through it, that you've withstood whatever trials you've, got, that you've been allowed to go through. You have the proof that you've learned and grown spiritually in doing so. That's why 
Those gray heads in the church are so important and so honored before God because they have that experience. They have that proof that they've endured, that they've gone through the trials, that they've learned from them, they've grown from them, and they're able to pass on what they've gained from it to the rest of us. And in large part, it's so that we ourselves don't have to go through a lot of the same things. A lot, and some, well, how, we each have our own trials that we're going to go through, but we don't have to go through every single thing that everyone else has gone through before us. Because, because of that experience, they can pass on what they've learned and we can we gain from it without having to actually experience it ourselves. And probably the, the biggest thing that we learn and grow in with the Lord in this endurance and experience, we learn that God does indeed love us. That God does indeed take care of us through all things. And our faith grows as a result. We go from faith to faith. We go from glory to glory. So then once we have that experience, that proof of our endurance, that works our hope. Where it, it, comes in, it builds into hope. Hope is the expectation we have of God for every good thing. In other words, we're not just, it's not just that we've gone through these things and yes, we've, we've gained from it and endured. We also have an expectation looking forward that whatever lies on the road ahead, God's already taken care of it. He's got every good thing in store for us waiting on the road ahead, even with the things that we're going to go through. We have that expectation because we have that proof of what God's already done for us and the things he's already carried us through and the things we've already endured. And what does he say here in verse 5? He says, hope maketh not ashamed. There's no place for shame in that expectation of what God is going to do for us. We're not going to be disappointed. Because the love of God is shed abroad or poured out in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. See, when we have the fullness of the Spirit in our life, our expectation of God is well-founded. It's sure. We know he's not going to disappoint us. See, disappointment, that's another aspect of shame. Hoping for things and then not having them happen, there's, you know, there's a shame with that too. But we're not going to be shamed. We're not going to be disappointed with God. There's no place for it because we're dwelling in the love which God has for us. He wants to take care of us and he wants to bless us. And when we stay on track with him, that's exactly what he's going to do. And we're not only dwelling in the love that God has for us, we're also dwelling in the love which we have for him too. That's what keeps us on that, that right track with him, is we keep that love for him. When we do that, we're going to do the things that are pleasing to him. 1 John 4, 16. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. We're dwelling in the love God has for us, and we're also dwelling in the love that we have for him too. It's a two-way street. And herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Instead of having, you know, being timid because we're in shame, we're in boldness because we're in glory. Because as he is, so are we in this world. This is the whole point of God teaching us his law. This is the whole point of him making the sacrifice of his son. This is the whole point of him giving us the infilling of the Holy Ghost 
and the spiritual gifts, the spiritual fruits, the spiritual power that comes with it. It's so that we could be just like him. And that's why there's, there's no place for shame in a full Christian walk. Because we are intended, we are meant to walk as God walks on this earth and be his representatives. When we're in that state, we, can, we have that boldness in that final day when those, when those books are opened and the, ju- and the final judgment of God is, is declared for every soul. So we can, we'll have that record and that testimony that yes, we walk through this life as your perfect representatives. God's expectation for us is not to be sinners in a habitation of shame, but to be saints in a habitation of glory as he is. Like I said, there's no place for shame in our walk. And he continues here in verse 18. He says, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Now, remember what I said earlier about shame? Shame leads to fear. You know, like Adam and Eve in that garden, when they felt that shame, what did they do? They hid from the presence of the Lord. They didn't want to have that exposure before him in that shameful state that they were in. So this verse 18, speaking of fear, you can say exactly the same things about shame. There's no shame in love. But perfect love casteth out shame, removes it. That's what Christ sacrificed did for us when we were yet sinners. It removed that shame. It uh, made the atonement for the sin. And that's what removed the shame. Because shame hath torment. It eats away at the soul. It It tells a person that they're not good enough, that they're not worthy enough, they can never measure up. And like I said, that's not true. God made a way for us to do exactly that. And he that hath shame is not made perfect in love. See, there's, if there's a root of shame in someone's soul, that means there's still something there that hasn't been cleared with God. You're still feeling it. So when we come into that, that full perfection of our soul before God, we'll be clear, totally clear. Now, the thing about mistakes we've made in the past, we don't, forget the things that we've done. You know, they're still in our memory. But when God's blotted those things, that the guilt out, God's blotted the guilt out, it's no longer held to our account. So we're no longer guilty. We're no longer in shame because of it. But we do retain those things in our memory. And there's the reason God did that is so that we know not to go, one, we know not to go back to those things. Yeah, it's like, I'm never going there again. But also, when it's appointed, it gives us something to teach others. It's part of that experience. And if we choose to do so, we can use it as an example for others. You know, I made this mistake in such and such a time. These are the consequences. And you can teach another not to go down that road and deliver and keep them from experiencing that shame and having to, to overcome that. So there's a purpose in God retaining that memory. Like you look at Paul, the apostle. He didn't forget what he had done when he was still Saul persecuting the church. And he 
He remembered that for all of his days. But he also knew that God had delivered him from that shame and that he was under the Lord's grace when he came into the fullness of the Spirit. But he, did, he didn't forget about it. And he did everything he could to you know, make up for the damage that he'd done early on. He kept it as a motivator for him to fully be in earnest to establish the churches and build them up. So there, there's another thing too, is when we have those things in memory, we can also use it as a motivator to take revenge on the devil. Now you deceived me, you caused me to do these things, I'm taking revenge on you by doing the opposite and making up for what was done. So you can look at it that way too. God gave us a memory not to shame us, but to give us a benefit to the body of Christ, whether it's to teach, whether it's to motivate ourselves, to, I'm not going there again, I'm going to do the exact opposite of those things and build what I've just, build what I tore down before. So there's a lot to it. And verse 19 says, we love him because he first loved us. When we love God the way he loves us, we will also have this trust in him that what he has forgiven us, we can forgive ourselves also. In other words, when God loves us and God forgives us, he's not holding a grudge against us. Guess what? We don't have to hold a grudge against ourselves either. We let it go. When we, and we have the full love of God and we recognize what he's actually done for us, what he's actually laid out for us, we can let those things go. And this also means that we're to forgive our brothers and sisters in Christ too, because God has forgiven them also. So we don't hold grudges against others either. When they've been re repented and been forgiven like we have, we let those things go. We just let it go. Then we're not harboring anything in our heart that's not the love of God. Verse 20, if a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, or holds a grudge against his brother, he's a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? See, God expects us to be like him in this life because it's the training ground for the next life. If we expect to spend eternity with God and his saints, you know, our brothers and sisters, then we need to learn how to do so here and now. Again, it's not often some future millennium somewhere. It's here and now. This is the training ground right now for eternity. Yep. And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. As Jesus said in Mark 12, 30 and 31, there's not just one great commandment. There's two. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind, with all thy soul, with all thy strength. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Thou shalt love thy brother as thyself. Thou shalt love thy sister as thyself. See, to love our brother or sister in the Lord, that's to love what God loves. Be like God. And so if God loves us, we're also to love ourselves. Now that might seem like a kind of a funny, selfish thing to say, but, you know, if we love our own soul, we're going to make sure it gets delivered. Because we don't 
We don't want to go to hell. We don't want to be held down in that habitation of shame with Satan. So we do have a love for our own soul in coming to God and getting ourselves delivered from those things. The other point I wanted to make here is when God loves us, we are to love ourselves. And how can you love your neighbor as yourself if you don't love yourself? That's, that's the, se- the second great commandment. Love thy neighbor as thyself. So how can you love thy neighbor as thyself if you don't love thyself? So that's what the fullness of the Spirit was given to us for, is to have the love of God in us for the human soul, which includes our own. Now, I mentioned this earlier, self-loathing goes along with that shame in a lot of cases. Self-loathing or self-hatred is rooted in shame. And shame is what Satan tries to pull the human soul down into to separate it from the love of God. There's no place for shame in a true, full Christian walk. There's no place for self-loathing either. Mark 8, 34. This was kind of interesting when the Lord uh, showed this to me. It says, When he, Jesus, had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. In other words, he's saying, yeah, walk in my footsteps and be like me. Now, to deny oneself. In the Greek, that word deny means to deny utterly. Deny completely, totally, absolutely. I mean, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It's total self-denial. To disown, disavow, reject, refuse, abstain. Now, typically when we read this scripture, when it says, you know, deny yourself, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Typically when we read the scripture, we read it to mean that we're to disown and refuse our own will, our own desires, and submit to the will of God instead. And this is true. That is what we are to do. But it says a total and complete denial here. In other words, there's a, a total and complete denial of oneself it also means we disown and refuse what we were before God delivered our soul. We deny and refuse that old man. We disown and disavow that old man. Like Paul, he went from Saul, the destroyer of the church, to Paul, the builder of the church. Paul completely disowned disavowed and rejected Saul. That's part of what it means to deny oneself. Submit to the will of God and that old man is gone. He has no hold over us. He is not what we are now. When we've become that new creature in Christ, we're a new creature. We're something new and different. Something in glory and not in shame. Something that's alive in the spirit and not dead. Now, there's something else the Lord pointed out here. It says, Jesus did not say, take up my cross. He said, take up his cross and follow me. 
Now, Jesus did make the ultimate sacrifice for all of us, but we each have an individual responsibility to accept that sacrifice. What it means to each of us in particular. In other words, every, every person has sinned, but not everyone's done the same sin. There's all kinds of sins that can be committed. Not everyone's done the same thing. And not everyone's had the same walk in the world as the next person. Some have walked in the world for many years before they were delivered by the Lord. So there was a, you know, a lot of baggage that had to be um, shucked off. Others, they were born into the church. They were nurtured up in the spirit. And when they came, come into that fullness of that clean conscience before God, there wasn't a lot as much that had to be dealt with. So when it says, he says, take up his cross, that means we're looking at what we've come out of and the particular things that we've had to overcome. That's what we're nailing to the cross. The particular, the things that are particular to us. And we're allowing the things which need to die out to do so. We let them go. And you know what? It's really nobody else's business what those things are. It's between you and God. Like I said earlier, we retain things in memory. And if we choose to use those things as an example to teach others, you know, we have that liberty to do so. But when it's been blotted out by God, guess what? God doesn't hold that grudge. That means nobody else gets to either. When you've been forgiven by God and coming into the fullness of life in the spirit, nobody has the right to throw your past back in your face. There's, there's no place for it. Like I said, there's no place for shame in a Christian walk. There's means no shame in ourselves, and no one has the right to put shame on us either when we've been re repented and been forgiven. It's between us and God. And when God lets it go, so do we. We let it go. We let it get nailed to that cross and taken down to be destroyed where it belongs. We just let it go. Romans 6, 6, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Now, when that old man's gone, when that old man's crucified, and that body of sin's destroyed, there's nothing left for us to have any shame over. There's nothing left to harbor any self-hatred for. We are free. 2 Corinthians 3.17 Now, here and now, the Lord is that Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. We are free from sin, free from the shame of that sin, free from the fear of the consequences of that sin. Those eternal consequences. We're free from all of that. The liberty we have in the Lord is to be like him. To have the same love for the human soul that he does. To have the same joy in blessing one another as he has in blessing us. Having the same glory and honor that he has in the spirit. Having the same power and authority over the influence of Satan that he does. That's the liberty we have. Now, I make that point because of uh, what Paul wrote in Galatians 5.13. He said, For brethren, 
you have been called unto liberty in the Spirit. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. So this is, like I touched on earlier, this is where some churches have slipped up. They said, well, we've repented, so we're good to go. We can do whatever we want because we can come back on Sunday and do another altar call. That's not what the scripture says here. It says, use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. The liberty of the Spirit is to be free of the flesh because that's what Satan works on to try and drag us down into that habitation of shame. He appeals to the flesh. He works on the flesh. Tries to get the flesh to usurp itself over the Holy Ghost and cause a soul to sin. So when we're led of the Holy Ghost, we're not going to sin. We cannot sin because our, that seed remains in us. And we're born of God. We can't sin. That, that's scripture too. So the liberty of the Spirit is to be free of the flesh. And thus, we're free of Satan's influence. We're free of shame because we're free of sin. We're free to praise the Lord for all he does for us. We're free to rejoice before him. See, there's no joy in shame. When we're free of shame, we can rejoice greatly in the Lord. And that's where I'd like to close out this message, is with Psalm 100. It says, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Rejoice before God. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. If a soul's in a state of shame, they're not going to want to do this. Like I said earlier, they're not going to want to come before the Lord's presence. Certainly not singing with joy, but that's the liberty we have in the Spirit, is to do that. Know you that the Lord, he is God. He's in charge. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. God's made each and, each and every one of us in a particular way. We're each individuals before him. And he, sh he shaped each of us that way for his purposes and his pleasure. We don't have to beat ourselves up for the way God's made us. Because that's the way God's made us. We just overcome the influence of Satan and move on with the Lord. And there's no shame in that. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving when we're out of that estate of shame. We're thankful that the Lord's delivered us out of it. Enter into his courts with praise. Yeah, we praise the Lord always for the deliverance he's given us. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. So he doesn't hold a grudge against us when we've cleared our account with him. So there's no reason for us to do it ourselves. And his truth endureth to all generations. So that's all I have for today. Hope it, this edified you and blessed you and anyone out there in the sound of my voice that's had things and had things in their past that they're not proud of well there's a way to let go of all of that the lord made the lord made the way for it and there's there's no reason to hold on to shame there's no reason to hold on to self-loathing or self-contempt because god has better for us and he wants to bless us he wants us to be with him in that glorified estate 
It's the purpose he created us for. So take what the Lord gives you and just keep moving forward with it. When you reach the end of that road, you, know, you will be meet, ready, and prepared to be in that place of glory with him. So thank you for listening. Lord bless you and keep you. And bye for now. Yea, saith the Lord unto my people. Yea, Satan would tear down and accuse, but yea, I do indeed build thee up. And yea, I would even have all of you, my people, my precious beloved people, look in the mirror each morning and see my eyes in your eyes. And yea, even say to yourself, I am perfect. For yea, saith the Lord, I see perfection when I look at thee, my people. For yea, my spirit does live inside thee and dwells there. And yea, thou hast access to my spirit day in and day out, day after day, night after night. And yea, my people, I do speak to thee. So yea, open thy ears and thy spiritual eyes to listen and see all that I have for thee. For yea, indeed, my quarry ministered this morning. There is no need for shame. For yea, I see thee as the perfect soul that I made thee, and I love thee, each and every one of you, deeply. So yea, saith the Lord, I would even say, ask me how I see thee in the spirit. For yea, when thou dost see that, oh yea, thou will marvel and be amazed, and ask to see how I see each of your brothers and sisters as well. For yea, it will even change the way that you love your brothers and sisters in me. For yea, I just see such glory and beautiful perfection when I look at each and every one of thee. Know who and what you are before me. For yea, thou dost have even power and authority with my spirit. Yea, use the power and authority day in and day out. For yea, I do freely give thee my gifts. And they are easily accessible, and all you have to do is ask for them. So, yea, my people, I would have you know this day and every day what you are to me and how much I love thee. And, yea, even ask for more of me, and, yea, pour out my spirit to all of thee this day. And I thank thee, my Corey, for bringing forth my perfect word this morning. Yea, it was absolutely spot on and goes throughout this whole land. Yea, even the whole globe for people to hear and to learn from. Thank you for getting my mind and for delivering my word beautifully this morning. For yea, it will even deliver souls this day and in the future. Thus saith the Lord. And that was the gift of prophecy you heard right there. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. And it's God Almighty speaking through a spirit-filled Christian. As you heard that great love that God has for each soul, I don't know about you, it just brought tears to my eyes because it's so real and it's individual for each one of us that want it. God Almighty wants each soul to know how loved and precious we are in his eyes. Isn't that beautiful? And let's not forget, it all started because one man chose to reject the religious infrastructure and hold out his hand and say, get ready to shake hands with a new apostle and then set forth so that we could benefit from this beautiful teaching you heard today. It's a wonderful and miraculous thing. And I, I thank God Almighty that it's happening. And I want to thank you all for being here. You know, there's 
a lot of resources at getyourloveon.org. Not only are the shows archived, but we have Bible studies. If you if your soul rejoiced hearing that prophecy and you want that gift of the Spirit, go to getyourloveon.org. We have a Bible study about the infilling of the Holy Spirit and how to access all those gifts of the Spirit to bless those in your life with the love of God and all those wonderful spiritual gifts. What an amazing show. Thank you so much for being here. Since we spent the last two hours getting our love on, let's make sure that we keep our love on. And of course, we'll be back next Sunday as well. Until then, Lord bless your week. We love you so much. Let us know if there's anything we can be praying for you for or answer your questions. We'll see you next week. Sons and daughters, sons and daughters of the one true God, keep your love on. Keep your love on, child. Let it shine bright, bright, bright. Don't let it die, don't let it die.